Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Hi, wide camera. Hi, close up. What's going on? Yeah, you guys can watch this too. Be nice if you uh, go to YouTube and subscribe. But, you know, hey, I don't want to ask for too much. How are you? How's everybody doing? I feel like I say that a lot, but what else are you going to say? Like, all right, let me just get into it. I guess I could just get into it. You know, I was thinking, I, I uh, you know, anxiety kind of creeps in. We talk about that. And uh, the busier I am, I wrote this down in my journal today because it's just so true. Why don't I just keep, like, reading, saying this to myself? The busier you stay, the less time you have to think about the future. So uh, the more time you have to dwell and go, oh, my gosh, what's tomorrow going to bring? You're, you're digging a hole, man, but uh, you, you don't stop digging it. Don't. That's what we do. We just keep digging it, man. But, yeah, I feel like, uh, you know, I, I'm definitely staying on the routine um, for the most part. Um, trying to work out here, trying to, you know, walk in the dogs, uh, Dealing with my Patreon, it's a lot of work, and uh, you know Ryan's not here, obviously, across from me. But uh, the episodes, uh, I hope you're digging. I'm loving them; I really am. In fact, there's some great ones coming up in the future, so I hope you listen to those and all the other ones that you may not know the actor or singer or whatever. Andrew Santino is fantastic, and maybe a lot of you didn't know him. And if you haven't, maybe you should go back and listen because he's uh, it was a good guest. And before that was Mental Health Week, and. Um, we had Dr. Drew on before that, so I kind of threw out some things to maybe help you guys out there and help myself, old therapists of mine. And uh, the response was overwhelming. So I hope you take the time, um, all of you. Uh, boy, would that be nice to just uh, subscribe and um, write a review. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. I think it's at Inside of You Podcast or at Inside of You Pod, depending on where you're at. We have the uh, uh, Inside of You online store. Uh, a lot of great stuff, new shirts, sweatshirts. Patreon is amazing. I love my uh, my patrons. They're so supportive and loving. And uh, I did a stage it last week. And um, Rob, Danson, and I played a bunch of covers and originals and had a blast. Um, so be on the lookout for the next one. Be on the lookout on my Instagram or Twitter. And, you know, they're doing, like, group Zooms with me and Tom Welling and Kristen Krook. And uh, you can get a Zoom with us and things like that. So it's all part of it. I think there's a Galaxy Con is... I'm working something out, and then there's Informa that I'm working something out. I, they haven't announced it, but I don't give a shit. I'm telling you right now. Fuck it. It's going to be happening soon. I think July 12th is the first one. The other Patreon with John Heater, Napoleon Dynamite, my good buddy, we love horror movies, as I've told you. It's called Where Have All the Good Horror Movies Gone? And uh, we just got shirts available, and it's it's so much fun. Some tiers have a Zoom with us, and we talk about movies, which ones we're going to watch. We have a rating system. It's hilarious. Uh, people are really dicking it. And um, I appreciate all the support. It's a lot of fun. Also, you could write fan mail. Just know it could take a long time because I it's hard for me to get to. So it could take a month, two months, couple months down the road. And I, you know, I usually check it once, you know, every once in a while. And I have someone who helps me, but it's uh, I'm not getting much help here. But just go to uh, hello at insideofyoupodcast.com. Before we get into our guest, who's unbelievable, um, 
And if you're here for Tom Cavanaugh, God bless you. Hey, he's, he's fantastic. Such a big heart, so much to say, uh, so self-deprecating and, and sweet. And you know him from The Flash and Ed and uh, great guy. But before we do that, why don't we get an in, uh, intro to one of his cast members on Flash, and that's Danielle Panabaker. How are you? I'm great. How are you? How are you? I'm good. I'm well. I was thinking about you. You got a new baby. How old's the little baby now? About two months old. Is it difficult? Are you going to say it's easy, but it's not? Are you going to be one of those? I mean, there's good and bad to this. Like, you know, we had our child in the time of COVID, which is scary and, you know, not the world we thought we'd bring this baby into. But, it, you know, and also none of our friends or family have been able to meet the baby. So that's been challenging. But the flip side is, is my husband's home. He's working from home right now. And so he's been able to spend more time than he ever would have. Right. I mean, it was the end of the season anyway for The Flash, right? Kind of. I finished my work on The Flash. Ironically, my last episode was season 19 or my last episode was episode 19. They were supposed to film three more episodes, but they didn't finish them because production got shut down. So. Oh coincidentally my last episode was also the last episode of flash season six um all right so tom cavanaugh he's on the on the show today uh, i've only heard great things i've seen in articles that you said where it's like he's been through the trenches with me and he's just like he's seen me at my worst and he's just like he really is a i mean he just he's so easy to you know easy to talk to isn't he's he? an amazing guy i'm so glad you guys got the chance to talk you know in a lot of ways he's like I don't want to say he's our father figure on set, but like he's our team captain. I feel like everybody goes to him when they have issues and, and like how to, what should we be doing about this? He's got, as I'm sure you'll see an unbelievable amount of energy and I truly don't know where it all comes from. Yeah. I usually envy those people. I'm like, how do they have so much energy? How do they do it? Do you ever wonder like, gosh, I wish I had that much energy. I do wonder. I ask him. He also has four kids oh, who yeah. I'm sure keep him very busy as well. Uh, he's just, really impressive cool well you know I, I just wanted to see how you're doing i know you had the baby i know you've been like it's you know some don't ever let your anybody say children of the quarantine <laughs> I, I saw that i was like children <laughs> of the quarantine but you know it's funny tom was i remember it was probably season one it might have been in the pilot but we were sitting in the cortex filming a scene and i was asking tom about his kids and uh he looked at me and he said do you want kids and i sort of smiled and said someday and here it is, you know, season six has come to be. Wow. It's kind of a blessing in a weird, dark way that you get to spend so much time with your kid now and the baby. and Again, kind of, yeah, it's, it's weird, right? Mind, way more maternity leave than I ever thought I would have. It's kind of like the whole world's on maternity leave. Everyone's got to stay home. You can't see anyone. Yeah. You don't do anything. So, so, you're, you're, so your you mom know. hasn't held the baby. No, none of our family. That's good. Isn't that family. insane? That's insane. It's really. I mean, it's obviously. It's really and that's the sad part is that our family, you know, hasn't been able to intimately be a part of this yet. And obviously, you know, we're looking forward to the time when they can be. They will. Things will get better. Yes. They always get better. And, you know, not to be too Pollyanna, but also thank goodness for Skype and FaceTime and all of those things that have made it possible yeah. for us to communicate. And yeah, it wouldn't have been that easy if I said, hey, Danielle, could you just come over for five minutes yeah, for this little exactly. intro? You're like, uh, no. <laughs> well, anyway, this is great. This is it. This is it. I just wanted to. You, you seem like. You don't need to know anything else about Tom? Well, <laughs> um, have you ever seen him flip out? He's just too nice. I've never seen Tom flip out. No, he's one of those people who you can tell he's really upset because he gets very quiet. He, you know, he's, I've seen him get frustrated and disappointed. Some, he was directing our hundredth episode 
which was incredible. And something unfortunate happened to him on that episode. And uh, I just, he just was really quiet. He didn't, he didn't get angry at anyone. Like he just was like, okay, and moved on. But when Tom is silent, you know, it's pretty bad. Yeah. Do you get silent too? Or do you just go, what the F? I will say this last episode that I directed, I've now directed twice on Flash. Unbelievable. In large part, thanks to Tom. And just getting to see him the way he, you know, watching him the first time. And he was so generous with me and so supportive. And, you know, the second time I was pregnant and directing and secretly pregnant. And I I lost my temper once on that. Uh, but that's generally not how I am. Yeah, I can't imagine. I, I figured you'd get kind of quiet and just kind of. Yeah, I think I definitely have like a very intense, mean voice that like, you know, I mean. Does it shake? Does it shake a little bit? <laughs> It's like, all right, this is what that's gonna uh, happen. If I'm like, upset, then yes, I'm sure my voice shakes. <laughs> yeah, it's not a pleasant feeling. I don't like being angry. <laughs> I don't like being angry. So everything else is good though. You're home, you're you're being healthy, you're you're respecting the quarantine, and and that's that's that. Oh yeah, we're super crazy about quarantine here, obviously, with a newborn at home. So, you know, very we take everything really seriously. And then, you know, it's a sort of a waiting game of I'm lucky to know that I will have a job to go back to. Uh, and it's just kind of waiting until it's safe to go back. I am looking forward to going to Vancouver, though, because it's, you know, it's pretty safe up there. They don't have that many cases. What's your favorite episode, finally, with uh, with season six? I mean, the episode I directed. It was great. <laughs> it was a James Bond-themed episode. Right. I, got, I got a great script. I was so lucky. Um, and I think that one's my favorite. I like how you say that, because I remember that, too. It's like, oh! I got a great script to direct as opposed to the mediocre or crappy <laughs> scripts. Because like, look, people don't understand, but th there are a lot. I mean, if you're writing 22 episodes a year, you're going to have probably five or six great ones, probably five or six pretty good ones. And the rest fall into the okay to crap category. It's true. It's hard. You know, fans, I think sometimes get frustrated when episodes, you know, don't move the plot forward as much as they like, but we're doing the best we can. Like 20, we used to have 23 episodes a season, you know, and you're still sort of confined. You only have so much money and, you know, you have some of the bigger, more spectacle episodes where there's really a lot of money and a ton of special effects spent. And then sometimes you don't spend as much money and you get a simpler script. Awesome. Well, I think you're amazing and I love talking I to you and I can't wait to meet the baby. So yes, someday we can't wait. Yeah. And I can't wait. And to. Yes. Hopefully soon. It will be. All right. Take care of yourself. Play tennis soon too. Give love to Hayes. I will. Rutherford B. Do you know who that was? You, yes, of course. He was president. But, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> we looked for president's names to name our child. Rutherford Panabaker <laughs> Robbins. No, it's <laughs> Rutherford. I'm glad you didn't go with Rutherford. We did not go with Rutherford. All right, thanks. Thank you, sir. Talk to you soon. She's honestly so sweet. Sometimes you look at people and you're like, how can they possibly be that nice? And you're thinking, maybe at home, maybe she gets really upset. I don't think so. I'm a good judge of character, I think. I don't know. I got fan uh, a letter to read at the end of this show. Um, I'm going to mention all my patrons at the end. Uh, camp Rosie, which is scheduled for October 31st, which is my summer camp. I don't know yet. So hang on. We'll see what happens. Um, also, uh, Inside of You podcast, live podcast with Zach Levi, scheduled for July 2nd in Austin, Texas at the North Door. That's going to be rescheduled, obviously, with what's going on. So be on the lookout. It will happen, hopefully, later in the year. But uh, why don't we just get uh, right into it? Also, we uh, have uh, one of Tom's old castmates from the show, Ed, and one of his best friends, who might say a word. So you might want to listen to this. 
Let's get inside Tom Cavanaugh. It's my point of view. You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum was not recorded in front of a live studio audience. You know, here's the thing. Uh, I was a little nervous interviewing you. We haven't done today. it yet. Well, before. And the oh, reason okay. is because I, I think, I, I feel like when I, when I interview somebody who I know has it together, Hang on. You know, I look at you and you're like, you know, I hear all these great things about you. I talked to Danielle Panabaker. She did an intro on the show and talked about you. And it's like, you know, you're just a great guy. She talks about like, you know, when she's in the trenches and your guys are there and you're getting your hands dirty and she's emotional and this. And she, she says, you've seen her at her worst and you're just the best to be around. And then but and then you see you get four kids and you're married, you have stability, you just you're a likable guy. I'm like, God, why couldn't I be that? I always compare myself to people who have their shit together. Sure. Listen, it's a funny thing, right? I'll tell you a, a quick story um, about that because it's always resonated with me from the time I was like in high school. Uh, I was walking with my dad, and um, I was like. I was talking about to him about uh, how I was like getting towards being a senior in high school. And I was like, Hey dad, you know, when I was starting out and I was a freshman, those seniors seemed like men. They seemed like they, they had everything together and they knew the world and they just knew how to navigate stuff and they were smart and they were funny and they, they had unwritten languages and they just, they just seemed like men. They seemed like they had their stuff together. I said, now I'm getting there and I still feel like the freshman. I still feel like I haven't learned a single thing and I feel like I'm, it's just an act and I don't have my stuff together. And my dad, we were walking down this leafy street. <clears throat> he was a dean of a college. We were walking down the leafy street toward the college and he stopped and he was like, oh, I've been waiting for that feeling for my whole life. <laughs> he said, oh, I said, all the professors at the college, they seem to know what they're doing, but I don't feel that way. And I feel like I'm faking it. And it, you know, I was like a young teenager and that just stuck with me. And I, so that's the answer to your question is like, you have it every inch is together and probably way more than I do no way. or my peers or anybody else. You know what I mean? You we're don't all listen. Just, we're all just fighting that fight. You don't listen to the show, obviously, because I don't have it together. I'm constantly trying to get there. You know, there's that, there's that scene in a uh, Christmas vacation. Getting it together. I do listen to your show. You do have it. Like that's the whole thing. Part of the whole, part of the massive thing is to go like, here's my flaws, right? Yeah. If you can start going, yeah, well, <laughs> you know, if you, if you have to like pave that shit over, pardon my language, if no, you, you can swear that stuff over, right? Then you're just, you're never gonna, you're never ever gonna have it together, right? Part of the whole thing is to like go, okay, well, I don't have it together. Those guys seem like seniors. I don't know <laughs> what I'm doing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, uh, Christmas vacation, there's that scene with Clark Griswold and his dad. And he sits there and the whole house is a mess and it's just effed, you know? And he goes, dad, how did you do it? How did you do all those Christmases and all the, and he says, well, I had a little help from Jack Daniels. And that just kind of sums it up for you. You know, you think dad's got it together. He doesn't have it together. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's so true. I met you. I don't know if you remember this, but I don't know if you, in the back yard of Michael Ian sure. Black. His his house. You were talking to uh, Pencado and uh, I think maybe Panabaker and stuff, and I was like, I know, I know Michael. I mean, we've crossed paths 
it's if here's the funny thing about you and I is you know we're ancient dudes <laughs> who you know who are still employable you know for a, a variety of, of solid reasons. I, I want to know those of, reasons. Go get back that? to the, you'll get back to the reasons, but keep going. Sure. But part of that thing is like if you there's not so many people like that. If you're fortunate enough to have that that kind of thing, that's just a wonderful thing. And then you cross paths with those guys. You know, you like when you you're like, oh, I I remember the backyard. I remember the bocce. I remember like yeah. the band drive. I remember all this stuff. It's like, yeah, sure, that's yeah, he's great. He's great. <laughs> I know him. And what's funny is we 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 spent probably logged together personally side by each, maybe like an hour right. of our lifetimes, and yet it's like, yeah, no, I know that guy. He's great. Right. That's sort of how Hollywood is in a way. But like, I, I think that. when you meet people, like you're like, you remember if they were nice, if you liked them, or you remember if you didn't. Right. You remember those people. Right. I'm sure there's people in your life that you go, whether you've worked with them or not, that you've gone. Yeah, that guy. Sure. Even if you didn't know him that well, it's yeah. that guy. How do you deal with that guy? Like in your in your you, you, being on The Flash, being on, you know, when you're on Ed, you've done so much shit, Broadway and all that stuff. When you deal with uh, personality differences, when you just meet somebody, do you is it is it is it difficult to sort of be cordial and fun and nice because you're that guy, or do you uh, sometimes have to? Do you ever flip out on somebody? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, do you like? I, I don't. I don't know that. The interesting thing about your thing is like your show is like, you know, your your questions. Um, there's a preset that it's like you're going to you're going to have like self-knowledge. Grant came on your thing and, you know, I thought, I thought that was a great episode. Right. And I think it was oh, with a, a lot of people that know him or those people that don't know him that are going to like go, Hey, Grant is, you know, like an idol of mine or Grant is, you know, the, the greatest thing. And he, you know, he talks about, you know, social anxiety and that kind of stuff. And it's like that there's a, the, the common thread through all that is self-knowledge, you know? And so, that specific question, I'm like, I could, I could give you an answer and go like, this is what I do, Michael. I do this when I meet that guy. Right. But largely, I think the first thing I go is like, that guy's a dick, you know? And then, and then I'm like, I'm going to avoid that guy, right? And I, there's no, no real strategy. It's like, I, I, it's a read and react. Do you know what I mean? Like, and then, I do. And then, and then when you're forced, here's a perfect example. If, if I don't have to spend time with that guy i'm not going to spend time with that guy right right and i'm I'm not going to say listen the reason i'm not spending time with you is because i do not like you you do not have a sunny countenance you're indulgent right <laughs> but i won't do that i'll just i'll go hang out with you you know and we'll just go have our time unless i'm forced into you know being with that person because it's a it's a we're doing a play or you know, and then, yeah, that's what I'm sort of getting at is like, you know, when you work with someone, cause you're always Mr. Nice guy, you're always the guy that the leader, I mean, look at you, they, they, you, they, you directed the hundredth episode of flash. They got to love you and know that you're, you're stable and you could do the shit. So that's why, so a guy like you, I wonder, that's why the question was, sometimes it comes out weird, but the thought was good guy, got his shit together on set. Everybody respects him. Is there ever that moment where he's just like, he was just like, dude, shut the fuck up. Oh, yeah, sure, of course. But you know, I think part of the thing is like that—the idea that, like, well, you know, we all have those flaws. My experience has been largely when the guy's a dick. There's some, there's some way to to work it through, and usually that way is like, 
look, I'm just telling you guy to guy, person to person, you know, if it's a female, if it's a male, it doesn't really, it's not a gender specific thing. It's like, here's how I feel. That's the bottom line for me. And like Danielle Grant can say all these things. Like if you say, I think this, this is how I feel. No one can say, no, you don't, you know? And I say, I feel like we're not getting along. I feel like you're, you don't like me and I'm having trouble with, with this kind of thing. And it's just like, look, I feel this way. Oftentimes, largely my experience has been, there's a way, there's some way in some way to connect. Rarely yeah. is the first is the dick, just a dick. It's like the time when you're like, you've worked 16 hours and you know, someone's like, someone yells out, Hey Lex or whatever. And you just don't have time for it. And he's like, <laughs> yeah. And then their next day going to that guy was a dick. He's just like, he's waved me off. You know what I mean? Right. We've all had those things. You're not like, you're not a dick. And there's one of those things where you're like, all right, well, there's a way in to connect a, li- a little bit when you, when you have to, has been my experience, you know? Yeah, and then, we're all and then human. If the person is just simply a dick. There's generally, it's easy to fool them. Right. You, know? you can like say, here's what I need. This is going to be great. You're going to be amazing. You know? And ah, yeah. The old Jedi mind trick. The old, hey, you're so awesome. Oh my God. And they're like, wow. Well, I literally look at the leadership in America and you're just kind of like, look, right. There's like, there's, there seems to be the way in, right. Is never like, right. They're just going to go like, Oh, you're bad. You disagree with me. You're bad. But if people are like, yeah, no, like there's reason and compliments and there's, you know, there's, there's ways in that's, that's human. Yeah. It's all insecurity too. I think, I think it stems from insecurity when somebody's, for instance, when I did, Smallville, uh, the first, the pilot episode, the guy who plays my dad, Tony Award winning uh, John Glover, I I thought he just didn't like me. I thought, I was like, wow, he he doesn't like me. This is so uncomfortable. I I want to, I want him, I want him to like me. I've always been the guy I want, I want you to like me. What can I do to make you like me? The one guy in the room that doesn't like me, maybe two, I want them to like me. And then, so at the end, I just said, it wasn't until the series got picked up, I started talking to him. I'm like, yeah, I just, uh, you did not like me in the pilot, huh? He goes, what? I go, I just felt like you didn't like me. He's like, of course I I was so nervous. They had called me two days before to do this. And I, I'm doing my John Glover impression. And, you know, and, and that was sort of the way it was, by the way, you do, you do impressions. And when I saw this interview with you that I love, because it's so true and really actors get it, but you really gave some perspective to the outside world looking in like those guys like Christian Bale when they do Batman, when they play superheroes, when they talk a certain way, it's so true. Cause I'm like, I always think I got to play Lex cooler than this. I can't be Rosenbaum. Sure, Fuck. No sure. one wants Rosenbaum as Lex Luthor. I can't be like, Hey Clark, do you, we should go fucking, uh, I don't know. Driving my Porsche who says Porsche. Yeah. And then, so there was sort of like a reserved kind of thing that I wasn't used to doing that. I got used to doing. It wasn't that I completely went, okay, Tom, right. a word. but you have, t- tell me about that. Tell the audience who hasn't heard that, that theory you have. Yeah, that was, I think that was a Rolling Stone interview. And part of it was like the conditions of being, cause uh, you know, you and I both play iconic. Uh, you know, there was like a, when I play, um, I play the reverse flash for, for the people who don't know on the show, which is like, that's the arch enemy of the flash. The flash is played winningly by Grant Gustin and, the, the the reverse flash is played serviceably by by Tom Cavanaugh. And you know, they're they're arch enemies. They're, the reverse flash is the the Joker to the Flash's Batman. And um when you're playing like a, one of those arch enemies, 
you know, there's a, there's a catalog of this is how we do it as part of the Pantheon. And the thing that I used to come into is the debacle of 10 yards versus 40 yards. <laughs> because if he's, if you're down the street and I'm like, you know, already catch me alive, Michael, you know, I land and I boom, I do the superhero thing. Boom. Do you remember, this is an aside. You're going to love this. There was a time in the late nineties, uh, early aughts when, when they were doing uh, Michael Rosenbaum and you were on NBC, right? And they were doing a promo for you. They wanted, you remember they did all those promos oh, and yeah. all that? They wanted you and your co-star, when they were doing your solo, they wanted you to do this. Ready? And action. <laughs> do you remember that? Yeah, I do. And they slow wanted, it down. They even slowed it down a little out, more. It bled out from the entertainment industry into sports so that, Drew Brees, quarterback for the New Orleans Saints. And he'd be like, he'd have a ball and he'd be like, I remember watching all like Eli Manning and all these guys just be like, when they like write their number, like just kind of looking up. Right. And it's sort of, it's still there, but it used to be at an 85% barometer. And now it's kind of comes in around 30, but there was that thing where they also like, they did this too. When it was, you know, when you were like, you would like, Kind of that kind of thing away from the just kind of swaying back and forth. Yeah, you remember that? Yeah, oh yeah. Oh thing, yeah. Like, you felt so stupid we, doing these promos. And then you kind of would do this, like, oh, wait, oh, oh, oh. you know, you do the like the spin around. I'm sitting on a chair, a spinning chair, spinning around. Yeah, yeah. Completely. You, they were on that you're on a turntable and you're like <laughs> and they were gonna cut away, but there was that always that great moment where like they didn't cut away and you were still like still kind oh, of looking when you're <laughs> yeah. And so for these kind of like stereotypical moments to break out of it's very difficult as you know to break out of them because this is how it's done in the comic book right right rarely is the guy you know like who's just like completely hey clark <laughs> you know because clark's like yeah you know what you're not a worthy opponent i'm he, superman even from 40 feet away but you think but no because you did this whole thing where you're like someone's yelling and you're like or yeah. so here's what it is so i'd be like if it was you and i facing off i'd be like I'd land, bang, and I'd be like, you'll never take me alive, Michael. And then you'd be like, I'm, I'm, I'll never, you want some fries? So I said, you'll never take me alive, Michael. I, I'm, I, is, well, you need a ride or a cycle? No, you'll never take me alive, Michael. I'm, I'm so sorry. He's like, no, never mind, just never mind. You know, and that yeah. was the guy, he was ordering, the guy that I was doing on Rolling Stone, was he was basically ordering sushi, he was ordering food in a restaurant. Oh, I'll have the, and they're like, I'm sorry, you'll have the, you all just have water. But it's because, cool. It, that's the cool voice. And when you're far away, I don't know how many times I've said that where I'm talking to, you know, Cl you're right, Clark, across the room. And he's like, and I'm just like, Clark. And they could never hear you. No. Like, what are you saying, Clark. dude? Right. I'm not cool. When, when, they, when they air this, it won't be cool. It'll be cool now. And how many times have you seen, I've had guest stars come on and they're even quieter than anybody I've ever heard. And I'm talking to them. I'm like, um. I need you to check up on this scientist. I want you to check him on. I was like, sir, we haven't found any information. I don't, what? I can't hear what you're saying. And he kept doing it. I'm like, oh, fuck, this guy's going to be terrible. And then you see it and you're like, God, that guy was great. Yeah. <laughs> he was so intense. I got to do the lower register voice. It's the magic of the 100 to 150 millimeter lens <laughs> where they're like, I can be way over here, but on TV, it's going to be like this. And I can be as quiet as I want. And you're still going to hear it. Right? It's just like, that's the movie magic. Yeah. I mean, because look, look, Broadway, you've done a lot of theater. 
you did Ed, you've done movies, you're, and now you're on Flash, and now you get to play a bad guy, and then you get to play a bunch of other characters, Dr. Wells, who's like different personalities, right? He's all over the place. He's in different universes, this character, so you could play sort of nice and sort of like you just... Do you like this stuff as much as you like the Broadway, as much as you like the straight drama, or is it just another thing that you're you're experiencing? Um, I wouldn't grade it uh, in comparison in any way, only because that's this is not a politically correct answer, and I think you understand why. This is because I I proceed from gratitude to have any job. I, I really do. Sure. It's not like that is not like a blanket statement of like you know because one of the things that especially I think you and I know this. And I think it's it's lost on people that have success at 21, and they'll 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 get there because how how could you have any basis of comparison? But the idea that you know proceeding from gratitude for the employment or the or the specific job that you have is a huge thing because I think a lot of people go, well, Michael is just he's just dancing from this show to that show to this movie to that play to this kind of thing, and Tom's doing the same. And I think what people miss is the the giant in capitalized letters. Will they have you? And most of the time, they won't. They want somebody better than me. They want somebody has is more of cachet. They want they want Brad Pitt. They want and that's a that's a, a that's kind of a fanciful fanciful example. You know, it's like that's the way it is. That's just the way but Hollywood they is. They do want Brad Pitt, but I'm trying to come up with an example. It's like if they if they can get me, they're also kind of like, well, maybe we could get Matthew Perry, or you know what I mean? Like there's there's some other element that's kind of close, but you know, like is a better get for them. It's a better splash when they make an announcement. And we run into that all the time. And I think when I watch somebody who's not me, like you, I think he's just going from gig to gig. Or I look at, you know, movie stars. Um, I look at, I'm friends with, uh, this isn't, this is a name drop, but he's doing such great stuff right now. John Krasinski. Oh, and, dude, by the way, I'm a huge horror fan. I, I, I'm yeah, oh. I, huge. And quiet place was just, one of the few that I really liked. I mean, I don't like a lot of horror these days, and that was really good. The interesting thing about that is one of one of the whole things, like when, when we talked about directing, one of the whole things, one of the main things I try to do is, and it's 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 obvious, because <laughs> every director, I think, wants to do this, but you want to show and not tell. But that movie, the whole, that whole, the whole basis of that movie was show, don't tell, because they're not, <laughs> you can't talk. Right. And so it's so interesting, right? Like oftentimes when you're a young actor, like, can you communicate what you're trying, what, what's going on in this scene without using words? And you should be able to do that by and large. But then, of course, we do superhero shows where there's a massive amount of writing about feelings and people are so, so there's so much self-knowledge. We run into something like A Quiet Place. It can be jarring because they did such a magnificent job. You, these characters were so rich and so fulfilled. And yet... They didn't say anything. I would have died. I would have died in the first minute, not being able to say anything. Even if I wasn't supposed to die, I, I still would have died. Rosenbaum, you can't talk. Well, I, I just I have to. <laughs> there's like, there's like a meeting amongst the producers that night like, hey, so I know he survives to page 68, but we were thinking. Get rid of what, him. What if we kill Michael now. in the first scene? Would that be cool? Like, I know it's a rewrite, but we can do that. Plus, the other actors can't hear him when they're acting. He's like far away. He's not even, he's whispering like he's playing a superhero or something. I just don't yeah. get it. <laughs> what, what is he doing? <laughs> What's he doing over there? Well, just, this is what I do on my show. But you were um, yeah, so anyway, yeah. the, answer your, the answer to your question is like you know I I don't have um, I know it seems pat, but it really is true. I never would have expected you know to be putting on a in the age of superhero 
to be one of the people who gets to put on the villain suit. You know what I mean? That would never have been, you know, when I started out professionally, I never thought, and at one point, you know, I hope to play Joker or, you know, a reverse flash or something like that. And so I have a, I have a massive amount of gratitude for that because, you know, that could have gone to a, a myriad of humans. And I, you know, they, that became one of those things like, will they have you? They would have me for that one. And so I think for most of the roles that you get, you're just like, oh, that's great. I got the, I got this role. I remember my first Broadway show, I got, I'm Canadian. I got cast out of Canada. I couldn't believe it. I just, I, I, I couldn't believe it. You know how the, Was the it your in town? That was, that was, a, that our, was our a, no, that was a play. And I think it was around the turn. Our boys were just coming home from war. <laughs> like it was, you know, <laughs> a national nightmare was over. And they, yeah, that was a show called Shenandoah about the, um, about the civil war, a musical starring Hal Linden from Barney Miller fame mm. and, and went on to, uh, went on to be uh, voiced by, uh, the inimitable John Cullum. Um, interesting enough, John Cullum and I, I did another Broadway show years later and John Cullum was the lead of that one too. Um, you know, he's a, a, a massive talent and, you know, the interesting thing is about, about that is when the, 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 the New York, the Broadway producers came to, came on their search through America and then through Canada, you know, they, the advantage I had was they didn't know anybody. So in the echelon of Canadian actors, I was at the very bottom, but they didn't know who the guys at the top were either. <laughs> so it was right. for a brief moment in the audition room, it was a fair fight. Um, and, you know, I got that, I got that job and the, the gratitude for getting that job, going to, to Broadway, you know, how you like have the elation when they're like, Hey, guess what, Michael, you're, you got the, you got the role. And it's like, it lasts for a little bit. And then, you get there and then there's obstacles to overcome and you're like, this guy's an idiot. And or there's, you know, <laughs> something doesn't go well. And you're like, it all plunges away. Like I remember playing basketball and going, I just want to make the team. And then after you make the team, you, that's all you wanted. You just want to be part of the team. And after a while, I was like, well, I want to play. And after that, you want, I want to start. And after that, I, like, well, I want to get my point. You know, like it's just that whole Michael Jordan thing. If you have a competitive nature, but what was interesting about that Broadway thing. And I know I'm talking about myself way too much. No, was, uh, this is why I want you to. The interesting thing about that Broadway thing is that elation lasted. It, it's still there. You know what I mean? It, normally that stuff goes away and then you like start taking stuff for granted. I'd yeah. be walking down from 72nd street where I live down to like the theater. And I'd be like, this is ridiculous. You just kept waiting for someone to go like, okay, all right. You're just at the stage door going like, you know, I don't know. And you'd be like, yeah, no, I know, I know, I know. I know. You really you know, felt like, so do you feel like that even today or is that kind of that feeling that you don't feel that anymore. Is it more like a judge? Do you still get excited? Do you still get excited about going on, on the set of the flash? Do you, or does it become just kind of like work? Because it is a lot of work. I mean, a lot of people say, no, no, I go, I have fun every day. But the reality is, do you, I mean, yeah, is it I that have, like, it, if you talk to the, if you talk to the people that I, I work with, I think a lot, uh, and I think a lot of the things, yeah, I think they do. I think I, I'm aware that they say nice things and I'm aware that, uh, you know, Hartley says, oh, you wear the C, which is like for a captain. And that's largely because for people like you, you've been through enough that you've seen enough situations. You can, you can offer advice on this thing because you've seen it before and that thing. Um, and so the, the short answer to the question is, yeah, that, that's still there. And the reason, one of the main reasons that's, that's there is because when you, you don't job hop from job to job to job, you have these valleys and people don't see it. And then it's like, 
hey, George Clooney hasn't worked for two years, but you don't know that because he's George Clooney and you don't know what kind of things he's been through. And it's the same thing for every actor. It's like, oh, now you're doing Flash. So that's great. But what they don't know is that you had these valleys between where you're like, I got to make my rent. I got to feed a family. You know, and those things, the more, the longer your career is, the more you run into those, those valleys. And every actor is going to run into those, those things because even for the huge movie stars, I read this thing that, uh, again, to talk about, which I don't know Clooney. I'm just, I'm just. We all know Clooney. But he said, he thought like he was the ER, he did ER and he was like, you know, then he became like this huge movie star and then he, you know, he just gradually became the biggest thing. And he said in an interview, uh, which I think he shared the interview with Julia Roberts, who also was a mega, mega star. And his point was, he thought that when he made it, that there was a, a golden domed room of gilded scripts. And once he became a movie star, those would all be, you the, know, the floodgates would open, right? Th- th- that would be for him. He could just t- pick and choose. And then what you realize when, what he realized was that, well, Leo wants it and Brad wants it and everybody wants it. And so, and then they don't audition anymore. And so now it becomes a, a bit of a political game and there aren't that many really, really good scripts around. And so even for those people at what we consider to be the height of stardom, they have their own anxieties and they have their own sure. problems. It's everywhere. With, um, on, uh, on a Fox series with Kevin Bacon. And uh, he and I sort of lived in the same uh, neighborhood in, in New York. And uh, it was great. It was great to see him. And that he's Kevin Bacon. And one time as an aside, you know, we were just kind of sitting talking while they're setting up a shot and talking about his career. And and the thing that resonated with me, he said, yeah, it's kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop, (laughs) you know, meaning, you know, there's more stuff coming, hopefully, you know what I mean? And then he's really going to, you know, and it's it's, it's really going to hit. Whereas to me, it's like, that is the kind of career that I aspire to, that every actor aspires to all these iconic movies and these great performances, you know, and like he, he plays music and he's like, he's just an involved guy. And you're kind of like, if that guy is waiting for the other shoe to drop, <laughs> then I need to be grateful for what I of have. Of course. Well, you said, hang on, you said, look, I want to go back a little bit because you said something about those moments where you just want to get your rent and you, those meals and this and that. You probably had them pre-ed, pre-med, pre-ed, right? You probably had those feelings. Did you have any of those after- Ed lasted four years, and were there any of those times where you were like, oh, I got to get back to work, I got to, I mean, especially when you have a family, I guess that's a dumb question, really, because you always have to kind of work when you have, you have four kids. Yeah, you always, I think there's a thing that you, you never look back, or at least I don't look back, you're always like, you're focused on the thing that, that's coming, and um, if you've done anything good, it, it doesn't matter, there's a Billy Holiday line, one thing for always, and two ain't but twice, meaning like, you may have done something, but that doesn't. That means nothing. You know what I mean? What's the big roof? I hate that. I hate that. What you just said, say that again. Once ain't for always and two ain't but twice. But here's why it's good. Here's why it's good. If you, if you screw up, this is part of the idea. There'd been a guy who like, uh, who wrote an article in the New Yorker, which is like basically like he'd he'd been a a war hero, but also he'd been, he'd done something awful. And the idea behind it was like, we're all going to screw up. And when you screw up, the important thing is to remember that that doesn't make you a screw up. You know, and if you've done something great, it doesn't make you a great person. You know, Babe Ruth had this quote, yesterday's, that makes home, runs sense, yeah. yesterday's home runs don't win today's games, right? And so I think that's that's a massive part of, uh, not only is it, I think, a healthy thing 
to like to to stay humble. But also, I think for what what we do, if if you think, yeah, I've got it, that's death a little bit, you know. Yeah, you, think, you lose your drive, maybe you're the, the eye on the prize. Get, you want to be like nobody cares about what, what you've done in the past when you're doing the scene now. This scene now has to be done well, and you know if you don't if you don't nail it, you, you feel, you feel badly a little bit. And that, you know, that's a, that's a, that ongoing challenge is the thing that's going to keep you sharp a little bit, as opposed to like complacency, which is, which is going to kill you. So, yeah, I mean, I, being Canadian first, I didn't have the advantages of, um, you know, for an American person, they can go audition, but for a Canadian person, they have to, cross over the, the border and then they have to like audition. And then if they get it, they have to show papers and there's a, there's a massive thing to, right. to overcome. And so part of the thing just to play at the level that you're playing at was there's a struggle to get there. So that that's, that's a leap of faith. And you, once you, once you get that, then it's like, well, I hope I can keep, keep with it. And if you get fortunate enough to do something like Ed, like that came after like a decade's worth of doing uh, musical theater and Canadian television. Um, and what was interesting about that is nobody knows what you're doing when you're doing a, when I, at least back in the day when I was doing it's different now, but when I was doing Canadian television series, nobody would watch them. They were all watching friends. And what was good about that was you, you still did the same daily that you do that I do when you go to do a television show. Now it's still, there's there's the grip setting setting up the the stuff. There's the there's the juicers. There's the electrics. There's the you know there's the, the camera guy setting the track. There's like there's all that stuff, right? Everyone's doing their job, and it's the exact same regardless of whether somebody watches it or doesn't watch it. And it gets you into this mindset that this is what matters. This is important to do this scene well. So by the time you get something like a decade later, you get something like Ed. You're like, all right, well, we're not reading reviews. We're just trying to do this thing well. And then when that show ends and you're doing something else and nobody wants you anymore. You're like, yeah, I know what that is. <laughs> I got to, right. you got to scramble and fight. You know, I, I worked, uh, the show I did after Ed was a show with, um, Jason Priestley who had been this supernova star for the younger viewers here for your show, like on 90210. And he'd been as big as you could get. And then after that, people said, well, you did that guy, you did Brandon. Now we don't want you. And he just had to like stay humble work hard. He became a really talented and able director. You know, he just said, I'm going to go fight for roles. And that's what he, he said is like, people are all like, well, we're happy to have you. And then when he would go out, when we would walk around being shot in New York, when we'd walk around, everybody wanted a piece and he always had time for people. Yeah. And I remember thinking, that's just great. It's like Cal Ripken signing every autograph while he's doing the streets. It's like, look, you know, you need to be grateful for what you have, which sounds trickier than it is, I think. Inside of You is brought to you by Shopify. You've heard me talk about Shopify. It's because I use Shopify. I love it. It's so easy to use. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch or online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million order stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Why it's so easy is when I want to add a product, you just go to your Shopify page and under products, you hit products 
It says add a product. And then you go in there and you add a picture of your product, which is self-explanatory right there. A little description, how much it weighs, how many of the item you have, and you're ready for business. It's so easy. And I say that because I can do it. And the analytics are easy to see what your best selling product is and, uh, you know, what's not selling so you don't reorder things that aren't working. And it's just so easy to use. And I, uh, I really dig it. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Yeah, I sell t-shirts and, and tumblers and scripts and whatever you want to sell. It doesn't matter. You can do it on Shopify. Once you start selling, Shopify makes getting paid simple by instantly accepting every type of payment. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash inside, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash inside now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash inside. Inside of you is brought to you by Neurohacker, Qualia Synaletic. I've been using this stuff, Ryan, for focus, uh, I just feel better, a sense of well-being. If you want to help resist aging at the cellular level, you got to try Qualia Synalytic. Um, Have you heard about Synalytics, Ryan? Uh, I have a little bit, but why don't you tell me about it's it? It's a class of ingredients discovered less than 10 years ago, and they're being called one of the biggest discoveries of our time for helping to promote healthy aging and helping to enhance your physical prime. Your life goals in your career and beyond require productivity, but let's be honest, the aging process is not our friend when it comes to endless energy and productivity. That's why we use Qualia Senolytic. If someone would have told me that there are science-backed ingredients that could help me feel 15 years younger in a matter of months, I, you know, I wouldn't have believed it. And then I tried Qualia Senolytic. And just to let you guys know, I was trying this stuff before they became a sponsor, and I've said this before, but it's important to know because I love this product before they were the, uh, our sponsor, and I felt like it was working for me. I felt like I had a focus. I just felt my memory, everything, uh, sense of well-being. I just felt better, and um, I know people, listeners that have come up to me saying how much it works for them, and... I like that. I like that it's it's not just me that notices the effects, but everyone else around me. As we age, everyone accumulates senescent cells in their body. Senescent cells may cause symptoms of aging, such as aches and discomfort, slow workout recoveries, sluggish mental and physical energy associated with the middle age feeling, also known as zombie cells. They are old and worn out and not serving a useful function for our health anymore, but they could be taking up space and nutrients from our healthy cells. It's kind of like pruning and the yellowing uh, of, of dead leaves off a plant. Qualia Senolytic helps remove those worn out senescent cells to allow for the rest of them to thrive in the body. And 
You just take it two days a month. That's it. The formula is non-GMO, vegan, gluten-free, and the ingredients are meant to complement one another, factoring in the combined effect of all ingredients together. And you get a 100-day money-back guarantee. Um, Like I said, my energy levels are up. I feel younger when I take it. I feel more focused, less aches and pains, and Lord knows I have those. Help resist aging at the cellular level. Try Qualia Senolytic. Go to neurohacker.com slash inside for up to $100 off and use code inside at checkout for an additional 15% off. That's neurohacker.com slash inside for an extra 15% off your purchase. Thanks to Neurohacker for sponsoring today's episode. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The products and statements are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I saw a video of you talking about you were at a convention and you were going to race your fans. And you sort of like, and you sort of like, but like, I, I love my fans. Like if people are like, you know, I'm a fan. If you saw my room, it's just like posters yeah. of autographs. I've talked about. Yeah. So when I go to cons, people don't realize I used to go to cons before I was anybody. I used to go to horror cons, like New Jersey Horror Fest or whatever, uh, Fright Fest, uh, and meet yeah, yeah. like meet like uh, Flyboy, the guy in uh, uh, Dawn of the Dead, yeah. you know, and the guy in the helicopter. I'm like, oh my god, his autograph's ten bucks. I gotta go. I gotta go get it signed. So when I hear about this, I go there and I really enjoy. My, I feel like they're friends. They're like they sort of get it and they know me. And it's like I'm I'm finally the the cool guy, maybe even though I'm not. Like high school, I was never the cool guy. So when I go there, I'm like, hey, I belong. I belong here with these folks. This is cool. So do you feel like I feel like you, you're you also a fan in a way, but you just like the way you handle your fans. And I think you, you seem like you really enjoy it. Yeah. I think a lot of it comes from, I know I keep repeating myself, but it's like, we're, you know, you're grateful. You're fortunate. I feel fortunate to be in the position. I think that it's a, I think it's a massive thing to have like there was this flyboy back in the day was like a, a niche thing. And now if you go to San Diego comic-con, you know, that's general knowledge and accepted as like, it, it's part of the mainstream right. in a good way. It's not comic books in a bedroom. It's like, this is the golden age of this thing. You know what I mean? And you do stuff where you're part of that. You're part of that. Yeah. That's ridiculous. That's incredible to be, part of a golden age of anything, I think. And it may be not even, it may, the golden age might be like 20 years down the line. Who knows? But yeah. there's a, there's an element to the fact that you, the cons are uh, not for the, they're for the uninformed and the informed nowadays. You know, it's just like, it's a, it's mass entertainment. And if you get to be one of those guys, like that you go into hall H and everyone's cheering for you because everybody knows you because you know, you share sort of the same, um, you share the same ideologies as the people in the stands that, that makes you first off, not cool. And <laughs> cool is a myth, right? It's just like, great. You don't want to spend any time doing that. You just want to jump in and enjoy the life that you're given. And that's part, the part of be, that. Be, yeah. Be uncool. Jump in there. Yeah. And so I, uh, you know, it's never lost it. Like, look, the reason like the flash is a popular show on uh on cw is because of these people <laughs> it's like it's such simple it really it's is so simple right it's just like yeah and again i have the benefit of being on canceled show after canceled show after canceled I've show been after there. Canceled show. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, I've been on a show where I was like, I was supposed to go promote the show for its third episode. And I was on, uh, this is another name drop Conan O'Brien. And, uh, there's a knock on the door and it's the producer third episode about to do Conan to promote the show. And, you know, uh, it's Michael Roush, our the producer showrunner who's like, Hey, they pulled us. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you know, wow. that's, that's Hollywood. They're not your friends. Like, well, before we went on to wait a minute, you're about to do Conan and they told you this. Correct. That's how you found out before you went on air. Correct. Who would tell you that? Well, I'm glad they told me so I didn't go promote a show that had been yanked. Great. <laughs> this is a great yeah, this is a great Hollywood story because on the surface, it just seems so mean, right? Right. But nobody's uh, well, my experience is nobody's really been, been there's not a there's no there was vindictive. They're not out to get you. Right. It's a numbers game, you know, like you can help them, you know, and or or you can't help them. You know what I mean? And it's just like, they're like, is, is he, is Michael going to be a good announcement? Are we happy to have him? Like, there's a lot of things like, Oh, you can help us. So good. So we want to get Michael. Uh, or it's like, yeah, you know, we're not going to, he's not going to help us. You right. know? And so, you know, one of the best advice you can give anybody is like, don't take it personally in, you know, in the entertainment world. It's, it's hard like, when it's, you're it's, sensitive. I'm sensitive. Sure. You will take it personally. Yeah. You, you, uh, your, your heart no, will be broken. You, you have to learn. It. You have to learn how to deal with that. Yeah, of course. You'll be, you'll be crushed. But there's a difference between having a thing that you love taken from you. You know, when I say a thing you love, I mean, you know, like you know, your, your job, you know, having that taken from you versus having someone take that job from you to purposefully hurt you. Right. Which is my experience is that they're not, no one's, everyone's just, these these executives who are doing that, they're scrambling. It's for all themselves. out of fear. It's all out of what am I going to do? I don't know what to do. I'm listening to you. I they're don't try to keep their own station, stay alive. And if that means cutting your show before you right. go on to promote it on Conan, <laughs> but that was a, that now, was hang a on. Thing. What do you now? Honestly, now what I would have probably done, it was like going, Hey, actually I just backstage heard that the show got canceled. So isn't that a great time? So hey, I mean, what did you do? Well, you know, I was I was there, and I was only there to promote that show. And even though this podcast is going to make it seem like I love talking about myself, I don't. I'm, I you're the guest. If, look, you know how many times I've heard Tom? You know how many times I've heard? Oh, he was talking over the guest. Um, let the guest talk. I'm like, dude, it's an hour. Sometimes I do talk over. Fuck. Yeah. You know, but like you're the guest, so they want you to talk. But I talk enough. Believe I, I, know, me, I know the deal. This podcast will be the end of your podcast. I, that's it. I couldn't stand it anymore. I had to listen to one more actor talk. I just turned them off. No, this is all but, so interesting. Go, go. So, so this stuff, because I don't like talking about myself and because I've done a, a few television shows up to that point, I had uh, Conan worked for NBC and I worked for NBC. And so we crossed paths a number of times. We lived in the same neighborhood. He's, you know, a, a He's so very talented. He's, in, he's just, and I'm sure you, you know this and people know this. But oh, I was on Conan before. <laughs> yeah. He's so quick. Yeah, he's yeah. funny. He's quick. He's Harvard educated. He's like, he's, he's just, he's humble. He's got all those incredible things together. And so he understood when I had done his show before, I was like, I don't like talking about me and so he or we would come up with some kind of gag or some kind of prank that I pulled on the show. We and he would air it. At one point, we did 
I showed them how to browse like a craft service table. That was a segment that we did. Ended up with somebody getting shot. I can't remember. <laughs> but, but, you know, he was like, you want to do comedy? Let's do comedy. Like he was game for it. That's it was, cool. It was incredible. You know, I, so, I, yeah, go ahead. We were doing that thing and uh, we were going to promote the show and I'm ready to go. And then there's the knock on the door. And I think it's the segment producer, as you know, that's the person who comes in and goes like, hey, Michael, so remember, we're just going to talk about this, 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 and going to walk you out to the stage. And there's a knock on the door, and I think it's the segment producer, but it's Michael Roush, the showrunner. And uh, Michael goes, uh, Michael goes. so they pulled us. I'll never forget the intonation. I'll never forget the words verbatim. He goes, so they pulled us. And we stare at each other. We're in the green room staring, staring at each other. And then... He kind of closes the door and we're kind of looking at each other and then, <sighs> and it's a knock and literally I'm supposed to go, you know, and, and this time it's not the segment producer, it's Conan. And Conan goes, I just heard. And I'm like, yeah. And he says, and this is like a, one of those like action movies where it's like 30, 29, 28. And he's like, I totally get it if you, you don't want to go on, uh, but you're a double. And I got nothing else. Double means like we're going to do a thing. We're going to go to commercial break and then we're come going to back come to back that. and I'm going to talk to you again. I've never been a double. I'm a single. Get and, out. Uh, Get out. And I'm like, uh, I'm like, no, I'll go. And he's okay, good. And then they're rushing us out there, and it's like five, four. Jesus. He's like, can you talk about what just happened? I was like, better not. I don't know what I would say. That might be really, really bad. He's like, yeah, yeah, okay. And literally, he's like, two. And Conan's there, like, hey, welcome back. And he's like, hey, everybody. He's like, I'm here with Tom Cavanaugh. So you bike, right? <laughs> and he's like, he like, and he goes, and the thing just sails by right. because he's so funny and he's so quick and nobody would ever have known. And then that summer I was doing urine town. He's like, Hey, come back on the show. And he's like, now can we talk about it? And I'm like, yeah, now we can talk about it. Wow. So on that thing, it was the last time Tom was here. We see that's we, perfect. He told, he told the story and people in the audience were like, Oh yeah. Tell us. Because he was like, that's Hollywood, you know? And yet, even though it's like the most Hollywood kind of bad, bad Hollywood right. story I have, there's no in intent. Like I say, there's no intent of evil behind it. How, how, how was, many seasons did you do? That was our third episode. Just three episodes in? Yep. And what was it called? Love Monkey. Well, I mean, that's just effed. Three episodes. How do you know anything? Well, Did you ever hear about Seinfeld? You give things a chance. This is the thing, though. I remember a friend of mine did a show called, like, uh, I had two friends, and they both did shows that were, like, on, and Love Monkey was the same thing. It was on every, so I live in New York. It was on every bus, every taxi cab, and it was, like, they loved it. We shot a full season, and it, as you know, but maybe people who are listening don't know, they sh we shoot so many episodes before we ever air them. And so for a while... The only um, the only barometer you have is is it good when it lands on your desk? And so, you know, I think that show, um, you know, that I think that that show we were let me put it this way: I think we were we were finding our way, but the there was something ephemeral about Judy Greer was in the cast, Jason Jason. Priestley, Chris Wheel, Lawrence Tate. Um, they were, there was all such, there were such talented human beings in, in that show that there was something ephemeral that translated from that to the screen. And we were finding out how to capture it. And I think the, the reaction from the network was like, this is great. 
You know, I think they really did enjoy it. It was an hour long. That's trouble one about um, an A&R music guy in New York City. So it wasn't blood and semen for your hour long. You know, it wasn't like it wasn't like murder. It was just like, you know, it was it was human drama. And I think that's a big problem on a big network. And again, like I say, not to offer excuses, but that's an hour of time. And if you can put CSI on and double the numbers, you're probably going to do that. But they were taking a shot with trying to make the network a little younger, a little hipper, a little New York cool, a little A&R, all that kind of stuff. Some, 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 a little bit of sex, a little bit of that kind of stuff. And so you can't blame them for taking a foray to try and be more competitive with the cool factor that at the time, NBC and Fox and those. Sure. Those they, yeah, I get it. Yeah. So they were doing that. But then what's interesting is um, Emily, the reasons why not. And then the Michael Malley show. It happened just prior to that. And what's interesting is they were plastered on every bus as well. And you'll probably remember this because oh, yeah. you were doing stuff at the shows. time. They were like the new big thing. Yep. And the the amount of money that got sunk into, you know, the advertising budget was was astounding. And up until that those moments, in my experience anyway, bridging both the, you know, the analog and the digital of all this kind of stuff, there was a there was a thing where like if you put that uh, much money into promotion, then you had to go with the show. And so famously shows like Cheers and Seinfeld and Friends that didn't perform well, but had been promoted. They're like, look, you can't just yank it off the air. Why? Because we'll look silly. <laughs> and so they gave them enough time and they had champions, Tartikoff and so on, who were like, no, this thing is good. Right. I, I put it on my desk. I did the litmus test. The barometer was, it showed up on my desk and it looks good. So we're going to stay with it for a little bit. But with Michael Malley and with Emily's Reasons Why Not, when they didn't perform numbers-wise to what they'd hoped they would get because of promotion, they took them off the air immediately. I think it was like one episode or two episodes at the time, and there was no penalty. Right. There was no backlash penalty to the networks. And I think that became, uh, oh, that's an MO then. If we can take them off and put it on CSI and nobody's going to, there's not going to be any backlash, then that's just what we're going to do. Well, you have a very cerebral way of thinking about these things. Now, I don't know if you do it retrospectively. Like, if we look back at the younger Tom Cavanaugh and go, no, he was fucking pissed. The girl he was dating or his wife at the time, whatever, was she like, oh, my God, remember how upset you were? You were smoking pot constantly. You were drinking a whole bunch of shit. You were, you get it. And now you look at you and you're like, yeah, was it the same mentality or was there a part of that where you're like flipping out? I think that it was less... You know, I'd howl at the I'd howl at the moon, of course. <laughs> less pot smoking, less drinking. It was it was just a lot. It was a lot more heartbreak. Yeah, you know? it was like yeah. that was the thing mostly. It wasn't so much like you fucking guys. It was more like oh, I really like because you know how it is. I really like acting with you, and I'm hoping that we can do this for a long time. Yeah, and then it gets yanked away. Yeah, and part of the reason it makes it so special acting with you is because I know it can be yanked away. Mm -hmm. And what you hope is that it won't be yanked away. And when it does get yanked away, even though, hey, we got to get together. Hey, we got to, that never happens. If you're fortunate, you take one or two people from each show and you stay with them. But your intents, your intentions are great, but everyone else has to go make a living, try and find another job and go on and, and, and do that. And so there's heartbreak because the reality is the thing that you love and the people that you love, you're just not going to see them anymore. And that was, that's the biggest thing 
the other thing is, and this is the, the silver lining or the, the, the golden part of it is like, you know what? That's that door closing is all right. What, what, what am I going to do next? Like yeah. what, what, what could come next? Well, you know, you know something that, uh, look at the flash. I mean, for instance, I mean, how many years since you came on? I mean, you came in six years ago. Yeah. You you didn't think you were going to even be on the series that long, right? It was just a, like a introduction of a character. Did you think you were going to be on this long? No, of course not. No, no. It's interesting you, you know that. I didn't know that you knew that. But yeah, like there was, it felt like after season one, it was Flash versus Reverse Flash. And I thought that this is just, and again, I know I'm talking about myself so much, but Greg Berlanti, who's like Hollywood's golden boy, Uber producer, he's just tremendous. He's one of the great human beings that I've ever worked with. You know, I remember uh, like Bill Lawrence, Michael Roush, Rob Burnett. These guys are showrunners of shows that I've done. And I've been really fortunate to work with people who are like great humans. Like they're intelligent, they're smart, they have perspective. Bill Lawrence is one of the guys who his literal quote was like, you can't take it personally. You know, um, Scrubs, right? He was one of the creators. You're you're the guy that did like Spin City and Scrubs. And he's like, they're not going to put the show on. He's like, you can never take it personally. And you, you pick up stuff like that. And so, you know, Greg is, uh, is, is so impressive because of his integrity. And I think most people who work on his shows can go like, yeah, it's rare that you meet someone who's so committed to doing the right thing. And back a long time ago, you know, um, there was a couple of things. I went in for a show of his and uh, he wanted me for one of the leads and I didn't do it. And I thought, well, that'll be it. That'll be it for him and I. And he, his, he said, well, I, his, as I walked out after saying no, his words, he was like, well, I'm not going anywhere. Meaning he's going to be around and do other shows. But I was like, that'll be it. Cause I didn't do this show. And then a little while later, he did this show called Jack and Bobby, which lasted a season and called me up and said, Hey, do you want to play this guy who rages at the rages at the moon? has got like a, looks like a, a drug problem or an alcohol problem. And like, he's got more things going on than that complicated character. And, um, wait, no, that was Eli Stone. Sorry, Jack and Bobby was a, a gay cocaine addicted brother to Christine Lottie. And, you know, at the time people were like, Tom's a nice guy. So, but Greg would pick me for these like challenging roles and offer that to me. And I was like, this is an honor to have him think that I could do this. And that show only lasted a year. And then the next one, the guy raging at the moon was Eli Stone. Again, he called. And it's one of those guys who it's stunning to get a call. A it was in your time. corner. Everyone needs that guy. He's just always been in your corner. He always sees. And he it's sees so it. rare. Yeah, right? rare. So, so rare. rare to, yeah. So rare, as you know, to have someone go like, because once they've done one thing with you, they're like, that's it. That's what you always think. If you, if I turn down something or if like, yeah, you, you're like, oh my God, I, was, I, I remember I did this pilot. I'm not going to say the guy's name, but big director. I did a pilot. He says, listen, if you do this pilot for me, I'm going to put you in all my movies. I, I want you to do this role. And I ended up doing it and the pilot didn't get picked up. It's been 20 years. <laughs> I mean, that's the reality. But then there are other guys like Eric Tannenbaum, who this, he's a big producer who produced Two and a Half Men and you know, he's a co not creator, but he's one of the main producers on that show. But he sent me the script and goes, Hey, I want to do, I want you to do this. And I just was like, ah, it's just not for me. I don't want to do that. And I just really, I just didn't want to do that, that role. And then yeah. I was like, that's it. I'll never call back. And then he yeah. did. We did a show called Impastor for two years and he believed in me. He's like, listen, you're this guy, you have to do this. And we talked about it and we did it. And so you're right. I, it's, it is rare when they come back. Usually they get, it's, it's almost like you get one show. Oh, that producer hates me now. I didn't do the role for him. They, I, you always feel that, but it's a rare occasion. So that's it's nice. Very, that very rare. And to have somebody like somebody who's as prolific and committed as, as Greg, 
believe in you is is amazing. And so when we first started uh, the Flash together, um, obviously it had a modicum of cachet because they'd done Arrow and Arrow had done well. But you just never know. And like you expect, you know, the knock on the thing, like, hey, they pulled us. And Greg, Greg, I think people forget, had come from that. You know, Jack and Bobby once he like he'd done a lot of things that didn't say this guy's going to become the biggest, you know, producer of all time. And so, and he stayed humble through it. When we started Flash, very early on, you know, um, in, in my head, we would be canceled by October because that's just been the experience. Like we'll do seven. And then seven to 13 and that'll be it. And, and your wife was probably saying like, what do you think? And you're like, yeah, I'll probably do this and that'll be it. I'm just, that's what I'm counting on. Right. She was starting a thing called the players tribune. Uh, the, she's a creative director of the players tribune for your sports fans out there, which is uh, the Derek Jeter uh, branded um, uh, site that talks about the story of the athlete in their own words. And it's tremendous. You know, it's where Steve Nash announced his retirement. Yeah. Brian is one of the, was, was always uh, on the board. Um, there's a, it's just a great, it's a great uh, site with uh, integrity because instead of EW interviewing you about your story as an actor, you write it out yourself, you know? And What's that noise? But that's a, that's a garbage truck. Oh, is that what that is? It's essential. I was like, hm, hm, hm. my OCD was like, what is that? What is that? It's a sound. <laughs> so, but because it was a, because, um, you know, Jeter was finishing off his time with the Yankees and it was a, you know, a digital startup you know, both, both of them were like, uh, you know, there, there was a, about four people that started up. They're like, well, we'll be done in like two months. That'll be it. And we were starting the flash and I was like, well, we'll be done in October. That'll be it. And because that's largely the, 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 the story. And very early on, we had, a we had a couple of things that happened, uh, really quickly. We introduced like, a, uh, some, some big names on the show. And I remember saying to Greg, uh, are we all worried about story because we were just like flopping all this stuff out and he was like there's always more story and his his intent was like look I, I love the flash and if it gets canceled like so much stuff i just want to have that dvd on my desk which dates greg but it's like when i have that dvd on my desk to say i did it and so season one was very a, such a simple and clean thing where flash his mother is killed by the villain and he needs to confront the villain and it just, and who is the villain? And I was in a wheelchair and I was the villain, but you didn't really know. And then it got in, the layers of the onion got peeled out. And then at the end it was like flash fights, reverse flash end of season one. And it was like crisp and clean storytelling. Uh, I thought that the, the, the cast gelled well and, and did, a, did a good job telling that story. And it's very difficult. As you know, it's like, well, we did it. And then it's like, Oh wait, now they want more. And so even though, you know, I think a lot of like producers and writers, uh, sound confident. I've been in that thing where you're writing something. You're like, uh, I don't know. I remember on Ed, Rob Burnett said, "We're we're bringing your parents in." It was around episode ten. Just like we, we got nothing else. <laughs> you know, he's like, so we got to bring the parents in because we got no others. We don't know what we're heck. You know what I mean? And that show lasted four more years. It's like it's right. There, that, that can be a daunting thing for people who are trying to tell the the story. And so, so when did you once, know? When did they? When so they? So once we ugh, finished yeah. that verse last, I thought like, well, that's it, you know, because you can't you can't have him every four episodes going like, you'll never get me, Flash. Right. You just can't do that. You can't repeat that. You have to like good storytelling. is like you want to invent some new stuff. And so I thought, well, that's it for me. But then 
Greg and I had this idea of like, what if, because there's, it's in, in our thing, there's a multiverse, which is, there's many different versions of, of Michael. We thought, well, what if we could create a different guy every season? And then as an actor, you're like, and still be the reverse flash when we need to be the- Dr. Harrison the Wells. So it ended up being like, you know, such an incredible, such an incredible- What a thing. run. It's incredible. That kind of thing almost never happens where you get to like, as an actor, it's a dream to create- more than one character. If you're fortunate enough to be on a long-running show and Flash has turned out to be that, then largely you're playing the same person to be able to reinvent, oh. but also play the the arch enemy. Speaking of which, speaking of which, before I got a, some shit talking questions from my Patreon, and I'm gonna let you go because I don't like I don't want to ever do long. I love this. I could go this forever. Uh, can you just play the the, the French version, the, the the Sherlock? Sherlock, that's not you're not doing it right. I know, I didn't try. No, you pronounce Sherlock, but it's Sherlock. Sure. So that's a gag that we do the whole time. So, and we started doing that one. Uh, come up with the idea that, well, this guy, uh, everybody pronounced the name wrong, but then the girl that he loves, she's the only one that pronounced it right. So that's what we did, Sherlock. And then mm-hmm. every time somebody say, the very first time we did this, by the way, this gag, the actors. So I come up with these things, and the actors never know what, what's going to happen. And the very first time we did it, the line was just like something like Danielle Panabaker had to go like, okay, Sherlock. And, and then that's it. But I corrected her while the camera was running. I'm like, she's like, so Sherlock, I'm like, look, she's like, look, look, Sherlock, Sherlock, look, 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 Sherlock, Sherlock. <laughs> and so when you know me, I can do that all day. That gag doesn't get old. Like, it's funny, 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 then really not funny, then really not funny, then, then really funny, then <laughs> concerned, then fun. You know what I mean? Yeah. That to me, that humor, I love that. And so that became a running gag. Anytime anyone, while the camera was running or while the camera wasn't running, said that character's name, I would correct them. So there you go. I've done that for your patron people. I love that. They, all right, so here it is. This is just some questions from patrons. There's just a couple questions. Spitfire. So you, you answer them quickly. We just do it. Here we go. Shit talking. Samantha M., do you prefer playing a good version of Harrison Wells or an evil version? Evil. Thank you. Of course, evil. Of course. You understand that. Yeah, I like playing evil. Although, Lex, I had to play good for quite a while until I finally got to flip out, and that was really fun. Mark A., could we? And then I got to talk like this a lot. Mark A., could we hear about your time on Bang Bang, You're Dead? Always thought it was underrated, and sadly, uh, the movie only becomes more relevant. Yeah. Uh, For the people that don't know, so that's like, that's, that's not Spitfire. That's basically like, about, <laughs> but as quickly as I can do, you can't do a Spitfire thing about gun violence. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, Mark. It's bad. Come it's on, bad. Mark. <laughs> it's bad. No, uh, that, that thing was like one of those, you know, those things that you're like, rarely do you feel like you're ever contributing to society, you know, a little bit. Yeah. That, that was one of those jobs where it was like, okay, you know, the William Masterone who wrote the, who wrote the, who wrote the play and then they made the movie of it. Um, their intent was to get this into school curriculum and not make any money off this thing ever. And essentially it's told from the perspective of children who've lost their lives in school shootings and what they, what they've given up and what they, what they don't have anymore. It's heartbreaking. Um, excuse me. It's so, it, it's important. I'm not going to be able to spitfire a good answer for this, except that sometimes you're so fortunate enough to do something you think is worthy. And for those people that don't know, Go read Bang Bang Your Dead or go look up Bang Bang Your Dead or watch Bang Bang Your Dead because like like this person said, it's sadly um 
so much part of the dialogue uh, these days, and we so wish it was it wasn't. But hopefully, anybody that could look at this can see why we feel the way we do. Robert B, can you recall a memory of one of the hardest days you've had working on the Flash set? Could you not just like I can't, I can't, yeah. I can't do it. Easy. I can't finish this. I'm exhausted. I, I'm uh, my mind. He didn't no, say all that. this is easy, and you can actually. There's dailies that are great. So it, it, when uh, the one of the characters I play, Harry Wells, is running with his rifle through the woods and being chased by a giant gorilla, Grodd, um, I had been up all that night vomiting. Uh, my oh. whole family was sick with uh, stomach flu, and after like throwing up from four or five a.m. at a six a.m. pickup, I was like, I, I can't go into work, and he was like. It's raining. It's pouring rain in Vancouver in Stanley Park, and there's 185 people waiting on you. Yeah, you're going. And so I went, and you can literally see in the dailies, cut, and then I run behind a tree and throw up. Whoa. Um, you know, it was one of those things. Like, oh. like, we were doing stunts. I was diving over logs, and they're like, cut. So there you have it. There you go, Robert. Lisa, the multiple personalities slash versions of Wells is my favorite character in The Flash. Okay, that kind of made sense. What has it been like portraying all the personalities and your favorite version of Wells is Sherlock, right? <laughs> Sherlock, uh, Sherlock. Sherlock, it's Sherlock. You're doing it wrong. Again. La, Sherlock. Okay. So uh, there's uh, there's H.R. Wells, and he's kind of like, you know, if you know who Owen Wilson is, he's kind of like that. He loves you, man. You're amazing. The Flash is so fast, bro. So that guy's great. <laughs> and then there's Harry, who hates everybody. Antisocial, heart of gold. That's fun to do. There's Sherlock, he's great. There's Sonny Wells, X me on Dawn. I'm unbelievable. There's Hervels, who's also good, but kind of, you know, he's German, right? And so there's a whole bunch of them, and there's no favorite. You know, the the, the, the person that I'm, the reason I'm there is the guy that wears the yellow suit. So that's my favorite thing to do, play the reverse flash. And then after that, when we start doing, I think there's 19 versions of Wells, <laughs> which is shameless to say. But the, and I, this is the line that I use, but it really is true. The guy that I'm doing that day, the Aussie Wells, oh, he ate all our petrol. You know, the, whatever, it doesn't matter. The Sonny Wells, how you doing? The guy that I'm doing that day is the guy that I love doing. Leanne P., have you ever taken up any new hobbies now with the quarantine? Ukulele. Really? Yeah, man. Ooh, that's cool. Ukulele's like, I, I, I encourage your patrons to, you know, you, it's, it's conquerable. Pick up the ukulele, folks. Emily asks, who would be the one actor you'd love to work with that you haven't? Michael, my, my host, podcast host. Michael Ian Black. Black. Well, go. hang on. Right, we'll see, perfect timing. So I, I emailed him last night. I said, hey, if you want to say something. Oh, no way. Is he on there right now? Hi, Tom. Michael Ian Black here with a quick shout out to one of my dear friends, Tom Cavanaugh from Canada. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Can I tell you, he's got this great runner that he does. So we do a podcast together. Our own, do you know our podcast? Do you yeah. Know about this? Yeah. Tom and Mike eat uh, chips, right? Yeah. Mike and Tom eat snacks. Snacks. Mates. Snacks. Mates. Yeah. Which became, this is the thing you'll love. You know him. His favorite part of, dude, we did a television show together. His hey, favorite part of the television he was show Phil. was lunch. He loved doing lunch. And we're like, what? You know that thing? We're like, how can we work together again? Like, you know, it's so hard. And we're like, well, we could gather and do what we always did and just record it. And then we get to be together. So that was the whole thing. And so his runner on this podcast is that he just, he's convinced that I play the flash and I refuse to correct him. He's like, how's it like doing the flash? It's great. He, uh, he, as you know, um, he's a genius. He's the, our first, I think he's our first link. You and me. Yeah. That's, that's where we met. Cheers to Michael Ian black. Funny ass man. Look him up. You know him. You'll be like, well, who then look him up and you've seen him in everything. Uh, he's a genius. I love, I love the guy. Rachin, Rachin, Rachin. 
I don't want to mess her name up. When you're playing a character who is so far removed from who you fundamentally are, do you look for inspiration in others who behave this way, or do you try to empathize and find something in them you can relate to? I don't understand that. Thing. I don't either. Let's skip it. Let's skip it. Let's skip it. Um, no, no, I, I get it. I get it. It's like, you know that thing? It's like, yeah, that's the, that's the job, you know, act. So I, uh, we've all got like rage and anger and all the emotions you need to play any kind of character. We've got goodness. We, so you just like, you tap into, you tap into that. I love, you know, I, that's, we, we love that stuff. Yeah. You know? We, uh, yeah, we, we do. That. Judith D, I could answer this question if Tom doesn't want to, because uh, I, I, I can guess it. Do you have any input into the different versions of Harrison Wells? It feels like they let you do whatever you want, and I love it. That's pretty much exactly <laughs> it. <laughs> that is it. And you know I what? I remember saying to Todd Helbing, is like, what if he was like, you know, he was like, what if, like, we were pitching the Sherlock thing, and I was always like, but what if he's French? And he's like, <laughs> I'm like, what would that be like? He's like, it would be like this. And he's like, all right. <laughs> you know? That's I think the amazing. thing is that once you've done it long enough, they're like, you're not, you're going to be indulgent, but you're not going to, you're trying to help the show, you know, not hurt the show. So I think that, you know, man, look, Tom, I, I love this, man. I haven't seen you Thank in you, so, man. so long, but you, you're so easy to talk to and you're, you're so insightful and the stories are just impactful and you're just such a good guy. And I know that you're doing so well with the flash and you deserve it. I love seeing the good guys win. And, you know, I hope maybe, maybe you could promise me at the maybe end of next season, you'll come back and talk about stuff. I'll talk to you anytime. Seriously? Michael, Ian Black's backyard. Uh, you're fantastic. <laughs> I think the world of you, and I, I thank you for those kind of, like I, sometimes I think you, you and I, we don't compliment well. It's very nice of you to say that, and I appreciate it. I appreciate you. I'll talk to you anytime, my friend. Well, you guys heard that. Tom Cavanaugh, thank you for allowing me to be inside of you. That's something we say. I say. <laughs> thank you, Michael. I appreciate it. I'll send you a mug, maybe. You want a mug? They're really cool mugs. Oh, yes. They're, oh, yes. They're good mugs. No, no, uh, yes. Hold on. Gonna, hold yes. on. Stay there. Stay there. Straight out, yes. There it is. Look at that. So it says, yeah. inside of you, Michael. Look, then, uh, thank that, you for allowing me to be inside of you. See that? That's a nice little mug. a nice little mug. Too. I'll send you one. Oh. And a good size too, like not too high. Like that's great, right? It's a good mug. I'm appreciative. I'm you're appreciative one, you're, you're, exactly. one of your kids is going to go. What is this, Dad? Thank you for allowing me to be inside of you. What the <laughs> hell is it? It's some podcast I did. I promise this guy I do his podcast again. It's not going to happen, dude. I love you, buddy. Thanks so much for coming on, and Thank good you. luck with everything, and, and be safe and healthy and happy. Good talk. Good talk. Thank All right, you. buddy. Bye, There you have it. Great guy, right? Really good dude, and um, you, you know I like when people are so forthcoming and open, and it's not always easy. It's not easy to get guests, too. It's it's hard. I do all of them on my own. I get every guest that you've heard. is 90, 90, 99% is because uh, I just call someone who knows so-and-so, and, you know, I think they're skeptical usually, and then they do it, and they, they like it, which makes me feel good because uh, I want people to enjoy the show. I want people to, that are my guests to enjoy the show. That's why I've had Dane Cook a few times, and... Uh, McNamara and um, um, Stephen Amell and Tom Welling and Zach Levi and uh, you know uh, it's it's nice and I and I try to just uh, I, I try to it's not that I try to make my show different I I just don't listen to other podcasts not because I I just don't want to be influenced in a certain way I just want to do what I do and if people like it they like it I just want to talk to people openly candidly as you know and thanks again to my sponsors. Um, really great stuff fair harbor and feels obviously when the advertisers do well they like me and they stay on board these guys have a lot of quality stuff so you might want to check out feels helps me sleep at cbd stuff and fair harbor i wear these shorts i'm wearing them now i mean every day i don't know how many times i have to tell you all right here's the folks that really support the podcast uh there there's some of them 
and they do it in a major way. And um, I wouldn't do it or wouldn't be able to do it without you guys. So thank you a million times. Nancy D, Mary B, Leah S, Trisha F, Sarah V, Yukiko, Jill E, Brian H, Lauren G, Nico P, Barry L. Although I always say that, but it's Barry I, isn't it? Sue me, Barry. Come on, Barry. You're the only Barry. Can I just say Barry? Angelina G. Lee, Jerry Wood, Kevin R., Emily K., Bob B., Robert B., Jason W., Kristen K., Amelia O., Allison L., Jason D., Raj. Raj. He's a patron on both patrons I have. The horror one, too. Many of these folks are. Joshua D., Emily S., CJP, Samantha M., Hamza B., Jennifer B., Stacy B, Carly T, Reem, Jennifer S, Janelle B, Tabitha C, Kimberly E, Melissa C, Mike E, Jake M, Marissa N, Nanileo, Jack Slater, Judith D, Ramira, Beth B, Chris F, Sarah F, Chad W, Leanne P, Darla, we're almost done, Darla W, Jackie P, Rodrigo S, Ration C, Ray A, Maya P, Megan D, Demario, Jennifer C, Maddie S, Tiffany L, Kendrick F, Ashley E, Kelly W, Margie M, Sigourney P, hi, Tom T, Matt W, and Belinda N. So there you go. There are the patrons. Um, thanks again. Please uh, tell everybody to subscribe. And uh, here's a, a little fan letter I'll, I'll, I'll leave with you. And I thought this was kind of sweet. They're always sweet. And look, they, they, had, they had a picture there. You can almost picture of the person that I met at a convention. All right, this is from Rosemary. I never listened to podcasts before until the beginning of last year. I kept seeing on Michael's social media pages about it. And I finally had a day to check it out, and I was hooked. His podcast has helped me get through a, a really tough time, especially since I was in an abusive relationship. And uh, some of the guests have gone through the same thing. It made me feel better knowing that I'm not the only one who's been in that situation too. I don't like even talking about it either because of how emotional it is, especially for me. God, I'm crying too while I'm writing this email. Don't cry. Besides that, I can also relate to Michael, um, especially when he talked about losing his grandpa on Thanksgiving last year too. Uh, and it goes on. I just wanted to share some of that. Uh, obviously she's, she's been through a lot. Rosemary, we're with you. Um, it's all how we, we deal with it, isn't it? It's all how uh, the people around us rise to the occasion. And that's when you really know who your friends are, the people that are always trying to get into your life and stay in your life, more importantly, stay in your life. Obviously, people are trying to get into your life. That's kind of weird if you don't know them, right? But uh, Rosemary, there's a lot of love. I give you a lot of love, you know? And um, again, I'm not uh, a physician. So I just try to speak from the heart and talk to my guests and hopefully you got, obviously got something out of it and that means the world. So thank you everyone for listening. Um, I hope you have a great week. Um, so many great guests coming up, Kevin Conroy down the road, you know, that man, Justice League Unlimited. Um, so stick around, man. Keep looking. We also have, uh, you know, I might just interview the Justice League Unlimited, the whole cast. Might happen. Also, a reminder, make sure you go to YouTube and subscribe on the Inside of You uh, podcast on YouTube. I'm trying to get those listens up and those views, and uh, you get to watch it. And so that's a lot of fun. So there you go. So, hey, thank you. Thanks to my producer, Bryce. 
who is so fun to work with and easy to work with and really helps me out. Um, I'm alone, man. I'm alone here. I don't have a wife or anything. And uh, Ryan, who does all the edits, he's fantastic, and I miss him. All right. Love you guys. Uh, remember the patrons. Um, inside of you, Patreon, just go to patreon.com and look for Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum and uh, also on Patreon, Where Have All the Good Horror Movies Gone with John Heater and myself um, talking about horror movies, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, the line, uh, Inside of You online store, um, my favorite charities. Don't forget those. We just raised, raised a bundle of money for the Ronald McDonald House. Thank you, Tom Welling. Thank you, Kristen Krug. Thank you, Amaze. Thank you, Amy Mallon. Um, I love that we made so much money for them. And uh, families still need food and support. I, I just uh, donated a dinner to them last week. So it's nice. And I hope uh, foodonfoot.org, helping the homeless, best organization out there. Um, so thank you, Echoes of Hope, um, Animal Rescue Mission. Um, for saving animals hugs and kisses my uncle warren has a wonderful foundation you can also listen to him if you want to listen and he has a pe the pet show tell my sentia and um he's fantastic heart of gold man heart of gold he loved to live just on an island with animals you know i'm sure there's a lot of you out there there's my warrior's vest from the movie over there you can't see it maybe in the wide shot thank you for the gifts too you know i, I get gifts and things i have the left on laurel embroidered thing over there um, people send me some cool stuff and patreons your uh, merch boxes are on the way right, every four months they get a big box from me and uh, so all that stuff i think that's about it all right movies tv shows books podcasts and more it's what women binge with melissa joan hart and her friend amanda lee we have lauren bosworth with us yeah the Hills. So what is like your number one question from fans? The primary question I still get asked was, what, is it real? <laughs> <laughs> In 2024, to me, is a surprising question to get because I feel like everybody has been through the reality TV gauntlet at this point. What Women Binge, wherever you listen.